Hello and welcome to Further Reaches. I'm your host, Kaz Tanner, and this is going to be one of my solo episodes. This is an opportunity for me to share some of the things that I'm currently most interested in and most excited to talk to you about. So when I was thinking about topics for today's episode, I asked myself the question, what is something that I really love to contemplate and think about? And one of the things I came up with was reincarnation. What is reincarnation? How does it how does it work? Is it real? And so I'm going to ask probably more questions than I'm going to give answers to, but I did dive into some of the reincarnation research. So I'm going to be sharing some of that with you today. There are some things I learned that were surprises to me, things that I hadn't heard of. For example, did you know that there are more boys who have memories of a past life than girls? And did you know that 90% of reincarnation cases, the child is the same gender as the apparent past life. So those are a couple of things that I had not heard of before. Um, So yeah, I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm excited to dive in. I think it's important when we're talking about something like reincarnation to stay open-minded and be open to hearing out the evidence that is available instead of just immediately jumping to trying to understand the explanation for how it works. So for instance, there are over 2,500 documented cases of stories where there is a child with memories from not this lifetime and apparently a past lifetime. The the scholars and researchers who try to scientifically look into these cases and document them, they have a, a very sound protocol when they're looking into these cases and what they're really trying to do is they're looking for cases that they can verify and what that means is firstly the case needs to be so specific like this child has to be saying statements that are so specific that it can be linked to an actual life of someone who has lived before and believe it or not in many of these cases the researchers and sometimes the families of the children themselves, they are able to find and connect with and sometimes even meet the family members of this person who is deceased. Now, to start with, I've, you know, I've mentioned the word children a couple of times and when researchers are looking into apparent cases of reincarnation, they are focusing on children. And that's for a couple of reasons. The first is that with children, it's easier to say, okay, it's this child is having memories that they can't possibly have from their own life experience. So when a two or three year old is telling you intricate details about someone else 
names of their family, sometimes names of friends, schools they went to, very specific details. When it's a three-year-old, it's like, where did that information come from? Whereas if you have an adult, by adulthood, you know, we've all watched so many movies, books, heard so many stories. So it's much harder to verify. So um, the other the other reason that mostly these cases, not mostly, always, these cases uh, that are being investigated are children is because usually these, um, these past life memories and experiences, they start to come on around the age of two to three. And then by the age of six or seven, the, the memories and the feelings and the emotions associated with this alleged past life starts to dissipate and the child kind of steps more into their present or current life. So I'm looking over here uh, for those of you who are watching on Spotify or YouTube on video, I have written out some notes. I read a chapter in this book. It's an excellent book. It's called Consciousness Unbound. It's from 2021. And there's a chapter in there written by Jim Tucker, who is a professor and researcher from the University of Virginia in the Department of Perceptual Studies. So I'm gonna like dive into some of the interesting facts that I learned. And to start with, something that was fascinating to me is that with children who have past life, past life memories, it's actually not just memories. There are actually four different types of evidence. So I'm going to go into them. So the first one is memories. And it's important to note that these memories most often are from an ordinary life, not from a life of someone who was famous, like an average everyday person that doesn't have a movie about them or a book written about them. And most often this previous life came to a premature end. So this person died early or unexpectedly. So something that these researchers do is they want to make sure that the information the child is sharing, it's not something that they could have come about from their day-to-day -day life. So for example, there are some cases where the child is claiming to be um, a relative. So there are some stories where, you know, there's like a little boy and the mum is changing his diaper. This is one particular story that stuck out in my mind. The mum's changing his diaper and he's like, oh, when I was your dad, I remember doing this to you when you were a little girl. And that was the beginning of many, many statements and memories that came from this boy. So when the child is talking about the same family unit, it's harder to verify, like, could this child have just heard the family talking about stories about the grandparent? You know, so I'm saying all of this because the researchers who are looking into this material, they really are trying to get to the bottom of, is this a real phenomenon and what is happening? And they're not interested in 
people who are faking it or fraud or hoaxes and they're they're also not interested in cases where it could have just been the child has just like heard family stories and they're regurgitating it. So I have a couple more examples to share with you of actual cases that I read about but before I go into those details I want to keep going through the four different types of evidence. So we just talked about one which was claimed memories and the second one is recognition tests. So This is when a child recognizes things or people or places from a previous life. So some examples of this are the child might be traveling on a train and then they go through a station and they're like, oh, this is where I used to live in my past life. Another one is there are examples of a child like seeing old photos and being able to point out information from this previous life. So uh, for example, there's one case where a boy says that he is his grandfather and there's a picture of 26 people, 19 of those people are men and he immediately is able to point himself out and say, that's me. Um, when these when these researchers are conducting interviews with the children, sometimes they do tests where they will get photos of places that were familiar to the past life memory. So there might be a photo of the previous person's spouse, the house they grew in, they grew up in, the house across the street. And then they show these photos to the child, but they also have control photos. So it wouldn't just be a photo of the spouse. It would be, if it was a man who died, there might be three pictures of women and the child is asked to pick out, do you recognize any of these? Another recognition test that I read about was there was a test they did with a high school yearbook. So they took three pages of a high school yearbook from 1968, one page of teachers, one page of the administration, and one page of students. They had control pages from another yearbook that was from a different school, and they showed this child the yearbook pages. And for all three pages, the child was able to say which one was for his high school. So yeah, that's a good example of a recognition test. The third type of evidence, in addition to memories, and recognition is behavioral and emotional features. And I found this section of the chapter quite moving because it is, it's not just that these children have the memories, they have the felt emotions that go along with them. So for example, there was a boy who remembered being a fighter pilot who was shot down in World War II. I'll tell you more details about that case shortly. Um, but he he would cry at night and he would wake up and feel really um, traumatized by this experience. Um, so other things are phobias. In 35% of cases, the children showed an intense fear associated with the way that they died in their previous life. For instance, there was a young girl who was afraid of water from a very young age. She hated having a bath. She like wouldn't go in the local lake near her home. And then it turned out later when they verified this case that the woman 
from the past life had drowned. So um, I mentioned the boy who remembered being a fighter pilot. Another part of having these behavioral or emotional features is he had a sort of PTSD in his new life. So he had some toy airplanes. He was always very interested in toy airplanes from a young age. And he kept taking these toy airplanes and crashing them really hard into the table. And he'd say, um, plane on fire, plane on fire, little boy can't get out, little boy can't get out. And in psychology, when children have a traumatic experience, they do do something similar to this. It's called post-traumatic play. So the fact that this boy was playing out this horrible event of his plane crashing is a form of PTSD. Another one that I thought was really funny and entertaining was that apparently tastes can transition over. Um, so one one instance was there were apparently a group of children in Burma. I don't know if they knew each other, if there were just like different cases documented around the same area. And apparently these 24 children, they each remembered being a Japanese soldier who had been killed in Burma in a war. And apparently many of these children did not like the spicy Burmese food and they were requesting for raw food, um, which is what they would have eaten in Japan. So this, this shows the behavior and the emotions. It shows that it's more than just an information transfer that's happening. There is some sort of multi-dimensional process where feelings and personality traits also somehow get transferred. So the fourth and final type of evidence that I want to share with you today is birthmarks and birth defects. There are apparently hundreds of cases like this and in most of these cases, the birthmark is actually different from the like common small kind of like discoloration of the skin, like you see with a, a normal birthmark that we're all familiar with. Um, these birthmarks associated with children who have past life memories, the birthmarks are often puckered or raised on the skin instead of being flat and they're usually in an unusual shape or size. Um, so there was one story that really stuck in my mind and I wrote a note about it here is um, there was one case where they were able to verify this previous life family and talk to the family about what happened and the the child in this case had two different birthmarks. One was a birthmark on the back of the head and one was a birthmark on top of his left eye. And when the family uh, spoke to the researchers, they said that this man who was in their family was a school teacher and he was shot one day on the way to school and this bullet went in the back of his head and out through the top of the forehead above the left eye. 
Um, and in this particular case, apparently the little boy uh, was able to take his grandma to his old house. He knew where the old house was and he took the grandma there and he got there and recognized the family members um, and could recognize objects from this man's previous life. But yeah, that example of the double birthmark really stood out to me. So now that I've gone through those four different types of evidence, I will tell you um, two other stories, um, or I guess cases of potential reincarnation. And I wanna say potential because I, I'm open-minded. I think this evidence is convincing, but you know, I, I want to maintain a healthy level of, of skepticism. So one of the cases that I thought was really interesting was the case of James Leninger. When he was about two years old, he started having repeated nightmares about being that fighter pilot in World War II that I mentioned before. And it was really disturbing. And his parents came from a Christian background. And at first, you know, the idea of like reincarnation and past lives, it didn't fit with their world worldview. So they just thought it was just, you know, nightmares and, and brushed it off. But then James, the boy, he started talking in more details about memories that he had. He remembered uh, the name Natoma. And his dad did some research and found that there was a USS Natoma Bay, uh, which was a ship that was operational uh, around the area of Japan during World War II. And James remembered that he flew planes off of a boat and the USS Natoma was like an aircraft carrier where the planes did take off from the boat. And James said that he remembered crashing into the ocean. And when his dad did this research, he found that the USS Natoma Bay did lose one pilot. And um, I can't remember the pilot's name, but it was also James, James something. So they shared that, that same name, which is like a small interesting quirk of this story. Um, James remembered the name of another man who was apparently on this ship. His mom and dad were able to locate this man and he was old by this point, you know, like in his 80s or, or so. And there's actually a documentary on Netflix called Surviving Death. Um, there's an episode called Reincarnation. And in this episode, they actually document this meeting between little James and his friend who now is, is an elderly man. Um, so, the reason that this case um, is really strong is that the parents took a lot of notes about the statements that James made when he was from a young age. They reached out to these uh, reincarnation researchers at the University of Virginia before they had located and found this man because in in this reincarnation research it's really important that there are statements that are documented before this past life family is found because once the past life family is found they're going to tell all sorts of stories about their loved one who's passed away and then at that point it's really hard 
to verify which statement was from this little child and there's no way he could have known about this stuff versus this family like sharing information so that's like a key aspect of reincarnation cases that are actually valid um so yeah that's the case of James Leninger another one that I'll just mention uh briefly is the case of Ryan we don't know his last name many families actually choose confidentiality um you know I think you could say like oh well maybe the family made up this reincarnation story because they want some sort of claim to fame um but actually many of these many of these stories there are not full names and the family has asked for privacy and there's really not that much in it for these thousands of of families to like fake a story there's no monetary game gain there's hardly any fame to do with it but um anyway this boy Ryan he remembered being um an actor and he said that he had acted on Broadway and then he acted in the talkies uh you know like the early black and white movies in Hollywood and one day he saw it was like he saw one of these old movies and he pointed out one of the people in the movie who wasn't even a lead character in this film was more of like a background actor and he was like that's me that's me and the parents looked into it and found that that was an actor who went by the stage name Marty Martin and long story short there were lots and lots of statements which were documented uh when the child was really young and then later they were able to find the family members um again this is actually in that surviving death tv series episode if you want to check it out but that one is noteworthy because it was an obscure background actor and it was actually really hard for one of the reincarnation researchers did some background research on who this actor was and it was not very easily findable in the public domain of just googling so it it took some more like in-depth research so where did this guy Ryan get this information from so now I want to talk about some of the themes across these cases and and then talk about some potential explanations of what is happening So I mentioned this in the very beginning of the episode um, in documenting, you know, these thousands of cases. Most cases are males and the researchers ask themselves, I wonder why most of these cases are male cases? Like what's going on there? And then they looked into natural deaths versus unnatural deaths. And when they looked into natural deaths, they found that for those cases, it was 50% women and 50% men. However, when they looked at unnatural deaths, it was 70% male and 30% women. And actually, 70% of male deaths from unnatural causes correlates with the public data how many men die from natural versus unnatural deaths and in the book they say you know there's the theory that men take men 
partake in more risky behaviors. So that results in more unnatural deaths. So there certainly seems to be a correlation between there being an unnatural death and there being past life memories that come up. Um, another, another quick thing I want to touch on is quite a significant number of these children. They remember the intermission between lives. So they talk about what happened after they died until they then were born into the new family. So they talk about there being an initial transition of watching their family grieve. Many talk about going to their funeral and there are some children who are able to share very specific details about the funeral and what happened that are then able to be verified. So after that, there's like some stories where the children say that they they had this kind of stable existence in another realm where they hung out for a bit and then they moved toward their current life. But there's like a, a moment where they they see their future parents even before conception happens. So one example comes from Ryan, who is the boy who remember being the kind of background Hollywood actor. He said that he remembers seeing his parents having dinner outside on a beach and there was a big pink hotel behind them. And um, the parents say that the week that they decided to start trying to conceive for a baby, they were in Hawaii, staying on the beach in a big pink hotel. And um, they then conceived Ryan two months later. So I think those stories about the, the intermission between lives is, is really fascinating. So of course, there are people who want to debunk these accounts and I think that for some people it just doesn't fit into their worldview of what is possible. Um, so some of these uh, accusations is um, that it's fraud, you know, that like the families and, and the children are making it up. But there, there have been a few cases that have been found to be hoaxes, but they're very few out of the thousands of cases. And they're very, that's very rare. And, and like I mentioned, the families don't really have much to gain from making this stuff up. Um, there's the critique that it could just be the children's fantasy, you know, like just an, a very overactive imagination. Um, but this, this doesn't hold up with the number of statements that have then been verified by connecting with the previous family. And then, yeah, like, did these children just find the information through ordinary means? Did they overhear the family talking about the story of the grandparent? Yes, maybe. And the researchers who are working in this field are on the lookout for that. Um, but the cases where the child has memories and it's like a family who is very far away, there's not really, there's not a way that that child could have got the information through ordinary means. And then finally, there's often the critique of 
well, why are there so many more accounts in Eastern cultures than Western cultures? And this idea that in the East, you know, in like Hinduism or Buddhism, the concept of reincarnation is accepted in these cultures. So maybe it's just the family is expecting the children to have reincarnated memories. But since this research has started to be published beginning in the 1960s and increasing until now, the number of US or European Western cases have increased. And this is because it used to be not acceptable in the traditional Western worldview, both in terms of a religious outlook that's maybe based in Christianity, where once you die, you go to heaven and that's it, or in a more like materialist, reductionist worldview where you believe consciousness is just generated in the brain and once I die, that's it, it, it goes blank. There's no survival or continuation of consciousness. So because of those Western constraints on the worldview, there have been families who have not been as willing to come forward, but the number of cases from the West is definitely increasing. And I would imagine that since the, um, the release of the Surviving Death show on Netflix, that there will be even more reports. Um, so the last section I want to talk about is potential explanations. And there's two different uh, camps when it comes to this. One is that, you know, it truly is the survival of consciousness that we have some essence of our being that can be born into another human in another life. And I don't know if that means that it keeps happening multiple times, maybe it just happens one time, who knows? But the theory is that yes, this person had a life, they died, and now that consciousness is in this child. The other camp, they talk about the explanation of it being some sort of psychic phenomenon where the child is somehow accessing information that is stored in some sort of field um and so i i don't know the mechanism of how that works but there are a couple of theories there's one theory that maybe when someone dies that there are these thought pools or thought bubbles of information that can uh, remain around after someone has died and that people can access this thought bubble in various ways. And maybe the child is somehow accessing information from this thought pool or thought bubble. Um, there's a theory that, you know, maybe the, the child is picking up on like psychically channeling information in a similar way to how a psychic would pick up on information. Um, however, this chapter in the book, it talks about how they have tested these children and they don't have any other, they rarely, they rarely have any other sort of ESP or extrasensory perception. Um, so it doesn't seem that likely that they're just psychically picking up on this information. The part about the birthmarks or having a birth defect, there's a theory that that could be some sort of psychosomatic phenomenon uh, between the mind and body. So 
when the fetus is developing, it its mind has these memories of these past injuries, so somehow that mind-body connection can create that birthmark or birth defect to be there. Um, I, I read another article last year that talked about this theory of what it called super, super psi, psi meaning like psychic phenomenon. And it talked about how maybe when someone dies, similar to how a star emits photons and those photons continue to travel through the void of space. And sometimes it can take millions of years for that light photon to reach the eyes of me, the human on earth. And I always find it really mind blowing to think about how when I'm looking at the night sky, some of those stars might not be there anymore. They have long had the long ago had their supernova explosion uh, and they're gone. But the photon, the memory, like the echo of that star is still very real. So similarly, maybe when someone dies, there's some sort of information from the human life that continues through the void um, of space. And then, you know, people can pick up on that information. So I thought it was really interesting. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Personally, I find it really intriguing to contemplate this stuff. Um, You know, in the reincarnation research, it's like most of the past lives are quite recent. And so it leaves this question that I have of like, is it possible to have memories of lives from further back? Um, And do we get reincarnated multiple times? Or is it just like if the previous life had some sort of dramatic sudden ending that then there's a need to come back? I don't know, but I, I love thinking about this and I'd love to hear your thoughts. So if you, um, want to shoot me an email, you can at furtherreachespodcast at gmail.com and thank you for listening. I'm so happy that you were here. So I'll see you next time. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast. So you'll get a notification when I launch the next one. Before I go, I would like to give a shout out to Zachary Walter, who composed the gorgeous music that you hear in this episode. If you'd like to find out more about him and his musical compositions, check out ZacharyWalterMusic.com.